right. Um, how many of you know where the Enon Room is? Raise your hand if you know where the Enon Room is. All right. How many of you do not know where the Enon Room is? Raise your hand if you... Just a few, okay. So um, we have these little code words that we use for <laughs> different places in the church, and uh, we kind of get used to certain things because, you know, if you've been here a little while, you kind of get to know it, but if you haven't been here for a while, maybe it's new to you. So the Enon Room is the last room on the right down this first hallway. Um, the lower Enon Room, by definition, would be right underneath it, right. Um, so you go down the stairs and down that hall, and the last room on the right is the lower Enon Room. So anyway, guys, uh, we have a, a new study starting this Wednesday, um, and I just want you to know where it is, um, but it's James, and uh, if you're looking for a way to get plugged in, I uh, would love to invite you to come and do that uh, starting this week at 6.30. Is that this week or next week? Okay, thank you. I was like, oh, maybe I'm all wrong on this. So, okay, this Wednesday, 6.30, down in the lower Enon room. Uh, you don't have to sign up, but it'd be nice to know if you're coming. There's some sign-up sheets in the foyer, and there's also a sign-up sheet for in two weeks. How many guys play golf? How many guys play at golf? That's, that's what I try to do. So um, in two weeks from today, we got a group of guys that are going to go down to Monmouth, uh, Gibson Woods, and play some golf. Um, mostly just we're going to be uh, trying to kill trees with golf balls. But uh, you're welcome to have fun with us and do that. There's a sign-up sheet for that um, and just invite you to get involved. And, and the reason why I'm saying those two things uh, just because every once in a while um, I need to highlight um, that in our church, and maybe this is not normal or not unique to our church, okay, but um, a lot of what happens is in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning at 1015, okay, and a lot of the attention of our congregation is forward. It's on the screen, it's on the pastor, it's on the worship and um, it, there, there's another level, there's another step to church, which means that in order to get involved in and connect to and relate to and have fellowship with the church body, then we have to be intentional about connecting with each other, okay? Because the ordinary and the automatic and the easy thing is to come in, have a seat, face forward, and then leave and not really connect with other people because it, it is another step of energy or intentionality that, that we have to move into. Would you agree? And I'm just encouraging you. It doesn't mean you have to go to this study or this you know, event or whatever. I mean, it, I'm not saying you have to do those things, but um, in order to connect, we have to be intentional about looking around, looking for somebody maybe is new, somebody you haven't seen in a while, um, introduce yourself and get to know each other. And part of that, I mean, is it's helpful to be part of groups, part of events, part of things that are happening in order to get to know one another. Because, and this I think maybe will move us into the message a little bit, um, the church is, is not a performance. We, are, we understand that? The church is not a performance. The church is a a group of people coming together to worship and glorify God. And in order for that to happen in our lives, in order for us to come and glorify God and worship him, then we have to get our minds adjusted to that. Because it, everything else in our life is a performance or something that we're being entertained by or something that we're watching, something that we're viewing or taking in, um, and, and church is intended to be different than that. According to God, it was intended to be different. It was an, intended to be a place and an, an, a time and an occasion where people would connect with each other in a common goal, which is to glorify Jesus Christ, to worship him. Um, and I believe, okay, I, I just saw a poll on this not too long ago, that the the primary reason,
people go to church is to build a relationship with God. That, that was the number one answer that people gave why they go to church is to build a relationship with God. Um, and part of building a relationship with God is building a relationship with other people who also know God. So um, as we do that, I mean, we have to know who God is. We have to know what his word says. We have to know what his will is as we move forward. And so this morning, as we look at, you know, Paul's second missionary journey, uh, we're going we're gonna to take it in a, a little bit different uh, perspective than we did with his first missionary journey. Two weeks ago, uh, we talked about his first mis missionary journey. We're looking at the life of Paul, and we're taking these big segments of, of his life and his ministry, and we're trying to basically walk through these huge, you know, time periods and events um, and, and try to see it from a bird's eye view. And last time we looked at it, we said, you can almost look at every missionary journey with this um, filter, okay? He proclaims the gospel, people believe, uh, other people reject or, or persecute, and then there's perseverance. And you see that pattern over and over and over. You see that same pattern in the second missionary journey, um, and I'm just letting you know that it's there, but we're not gonna focus on that. We're not gonna spend our time on that. What we're gonna focus on is something else, which I think is very interesting, which is that Paul had discernment issues. He had discernment issues. There were things that were going on in the second missionary journey where he's trying to figure out the right thing to do. And we look at Paul. I don't, I don't know if you do, okay? I do. I look at Paul um, and a lot of the Bible characters, I look at them like as if they're, they're these superhuman people. Like they're almost um, infallible. Like they can't make mistakes. Like they, they just are are so faithful and spiritual and wise and, and so guided by the Holy Spirit that it's like they're not n normal. They're not like you and me. And the reality is when you look at the stories of almost every Bible character, okay, outside of Jesus, okay, every single one of them is a human being that is flawed, makes mistakes, has things wrong, doesn't understand things, and is trying to figure it out, um, and has to rely on God to help them through a situation, every single one. And many of them um, are making big mistakes, and God's grace is just carrying them through. Paul is no different. He makes some mistakes. I don't think that we're not going to beat him up and try to, you know, make him a villain, uh, but we do need to understand that, that he didn't know everything that he was supposed to do every step of the way. He's, he's figuring some of this out as he goes. That, to me, is encouraging because that's what I'm trying to do, right? That's, that's, that's what I see most people trying to do. I don't know what's going to happen in five years. I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, but right now I'm going to trust God. I'm going to try to be faithful and do what I understand and pray that he's going to be with me and carry me through even the mistakes that I make. And somehow he even can use my mistakes to glorify himself and get us where he wants us to be. That's kind of awesome, actually. So we're going to do that. We're going to look at it that way. Um, and we're going to walk through about three chapters of Acts as we go through the second missionary journey. It's, it's three years of, of ministry. We're going to just highlight four specific things that happened on this journey. Um, but as we do that, we're going to walk through starting in chapter 15, verse 36. And I'm going to ask you to uh, get your Bibles out. If you have your own Bible, then open it up to Acts 15, starting in verse 36. I'm going to be walking through the whole story. Um, if you don't have your Bible, then grab one from the chair in front of you. Um, or if it's on your phone or whatever Bible that you have, uh, I would encourage you just to grab a Bible and have it open. And we're going to be walking through these stories. So let's pray as we get started, and then uh, we'll jump in. Father, we thank you that uh, your word not only gives us the revelation of your perfect goodness, your perfect power, your perfect love, your perfect grace and mercy and plan and your son and the power of your Holy Spirit and 
your, your intentions for, for us as your creatures. Um, but it also is, is never afraid. Your word never, never um, resists the temptation to, to uh, not be honest about people's faults. In your word, we see people um, acting like people. And, uh, and yet, God, you still use their stories, you use their faults, you use their personalities um, to show just how good and gracious and powerful you are. And in, in the case of Paul, again, um, this person who is such a monumental figure in Christianity, who planted churches all over the world and wrote half of, of our New Testament, um, Still, it, it, you're not afraid to let us know that he was a human being who, who didn't know everything, didn't even have perfect understanding of everything, that he needed grace just like we do. And uh, Father, we pray that as he uh, shows us um, through his story and his life, the, the wonders of, of your work in his life, Lord, I pray that we would see ourselves in that, understand that we need that same grace, that same discernment, the same willingness to keep trying, to keep moving, and to keep trusting you uh, in our own lives, Lord. Um, we may not be international missionaries, but we, we are all missionaries uh, where we are. Uh, we're, we're seeking to represent Christ where we are in our homes, um, among our friends, and our families, and, and wherever we go. God, would you help us to do that well? Uh, would you help us to do it Maybe not perfectly, as much as we want that, but um, would you help us to do it authentically, um, to do it with humility, and uh, would you take that small effort and, uh, and do great things with it? That's our prayer, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son and for your Holy Spirit that helps us to understand it all. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be Acts 15, verse 36, and it says, after some days, and some days doesn't mean just a few days, it means after some extended period of time, uh, Paul said to Barnabas, so what's been happening is they went on their first journey, and then there's a bunch of stuff that happened because the church was kind of getting infiltrated by legalism, and they had to figure out how to be a Christian, but also Jewish, and in that whole first century, that was a big deal. And so they came up with some ideas and, and rules and regulations and, and protocols for how to help churches to be faithful in that. Okay, that we're skipping over all of that. Okay, they they were participating in going to Jerusalem, going back to Antioch. But now, here's what they're saying: Let us um, return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. So on their first journey, they went up into. Um, the, the, into Syria, and they planted a bunch of churches there in Cyprus on that island. They planted some churches there and, and saw some believers come to faith. Um, so they want to go back and just see how they are. Now, in verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. Uh, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one, Mark, who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him, sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And so that little story of, of how they began their second journey, to me, is so telling of human nature. This is... This is something that Scripture is always willing to do, is to, to just say, here's something that happened, and doesn't comment on it. It doesn't give a, um, any kind of a, a value statement to it. It's just, here's something that happened. Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement, and they, they separated, and they went their different ways. Now, here's what we understand about Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas was, in chapter 5 of Acts, uh, his name is actually Joseph, and he's called Barnabas for the first time because he uh, generously gave some land or sold some land and gave the money to the apostles. And it was the first, like, wildly generous act that the church began to just 
pile on, and a lot of people began doing this because of this generosity of Barnabas. He so believed in um, the, the, the nature of, of grace and the, the power of Jesus that he just wanted to give everything that he could to make sure that this continued to happen. And so he sold some land that he had, he gave the proceeds, and then in chapter 5 of Acts, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, then you know that there's another story in there about Ananias and Sapphira. How many of you know who Ananias and Sapphira are? And that they did the same thing that Barnabas did, right? They sold some land and they gave some of the money to the apostles. And then what happened to them? Anybody? They died, okay? So they, they were trying to lie to the Holy Spirit and they withheld some of the money. They said it was the whole amount, but it wasn't. It was only part of the money. And so they ended up dying. But anyway, that's where we begin to learn about Barnabas. His heart, his spirit, his encouragement to other people. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Anytime you see bar, it always means son of. And so that was his nickname. Barnabas was the reason why Paul was included in the ministry of the apostles to begin with. Now, I say that. Now, you know that God is the reason why Paul was included, right? But how that happened, how God made that happen or, or uh, provided the way for that to happen was that Barnabas um, went and he took Paul before the apostles and he said, I'm going to vouch for this person. Because up until that point, what was happening was that Paul had been persecuting the church and then he got converted to Jesus, and now he's a passionate uh, professor of Jesus Christ, and he is proclaiming Jesus, defending Jesus, and, and to a de the degree that people are getting saved. But the apostles and many of the Christian people thought that Paul was faking it, that he was pretending to be a Christian, and that he was going to infiltrate the church and destroy it from the inside. They, they were suspicious of Paul. And so when they heard this guy who persecuted the church now as a Christian, they were very, very skeptical. Barnabas comes along and he says he heard Paul's story, he understood Paul's account, and he brought Paul to the apostles and he says, I believe Paul is authentically a believer in Jesus Christ and we need to accept him. And that's where Paul began to get his start. Now, what happens next is that Paul... Um, is getting a lot of heat from the Jerusalem Jewish people, especially the religious leaders, because you remember, they had given Paul letters to go persecute the church in other lands, in other areas. And Paul had begun to do that. Now Paul comes back to Jerusalem and he's defending Jesus and they want to kill him. I mean, he's, he is in danger, but he's also bringing a lot of heat to the apostles because he is so, so um, such a lightning a rod figure in Jerusalem. So the apostles send Paul to Tarsus, where he is from, to get him out of there for his protection and for theirs. Okay? Now, Paul stays in Tarsus for like seven, eight, nine years. We're not exactly sure how long he was back home in Tarsus. We don't know exactly what he was doing. We assume it's Paul. He's probably preaching and, and building a church in Tarsus. But we don't really have any accounts of what's going on there until Barnabas in Antioch, he says, I need some help with this church in Antioch. He goes to Tarsus. He gets Paul, brings him back to Antioch, and he begins his ministry. And from there on out, Paul and Barnabas are doing ministry together for like a decade. They're working in Antioch, they're going on mission journeys, they're working in Antioch, they're building the church, they're doing all these different things together. So Barnabas is the reason why Paul begins that ministry in Antioch, and he's the reason, aside from God's call and God's provision and God's um, providence, I mean, the, the, but Barnabas is the person who enables Paul to get involved and to become the, the person that we see him in Scripture to be. It's, it's Barnabas, because Barnabas believes in giving people second chances, grace, and opportunities, right? That's who he is. That's his nature. So Barnabas and Paul go on this mission journey. John Mark leaves them at a certain point. Basically, they go to Cyprus. They're on this island. They do ministry there. Then they go to the mainland, and when they get to the mainland, John Mark says, I I've had enough 
for whatever reason, we don't know, but he leaves, and Barnabas and Paul continue on for the rest of that journey without him. The next missionary journey, Paul says, let's go back, and Barnabas says, let's take Mark, because it's in Barnabas's heart to give people a second chance, and Paul says, I don't think that's wise. He abandoned us the first time. What's, who's to say he's not going to abandon us again? Do you think that that's reasonable for Paul to, to be suspicious that John Mark's not going to continue with them a second time since he abandoned them the first time? How many of you, let's just take a quick poll, how many of you would be on Paul's side and say, I don't really trust that guy? Okay. I, I would be there. I'd probably be like, you know what? I mean, I need to be able to depend on you, and, and you showed me once you can't be depended on. How many of you would be like Barnabas, like, hey, give the guy another chance. Like, he's not a villain. Less. Okay, that's less. And here's what I think. I think Barnabas's are more rare than Paul's. I think there are, there are a lot less people in the world that believe in people having a, 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 the ability or the, the right or whatever you want to call it to have a second chance, to have that grace that says, you know what, yeah, you burned me once, but I'll give you another chance to burn me again. But there are some Barnabases out there. Barnabas says, I want this guy to have another chance. Now, here's the deal. Who's right? <laughs> Thank you. It was just a difference of perspective, a difference of opinion, a difference of per, per preference. And so they said, it's such a sharp disagreement. Let's just go our different way. Now, here's the thing with Mark. We know from Scripture uh, several things. Mark um, is the writer of the Gospel of Mark. Okay? W where that comes about is that somehow, we don't know the story. Acts doesn't share it with us because Acts follows the storyline of Paul, not of Barnabas. And we'll see in a minute why that is. But what happens is that Mark, somewhere along the way, gets connected with the apostle Peter, and now he becomes his personal secretary. And the gospel of Mark is the result of, of Mark hearing the gospel from Peter, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and applying it to writing. And then that is the first gospel that is written. And it's the first gospel that gets circulated among the churches in the first century. Pretty important? You say, yeah, it's pretty important. Now, we also know that Mark is, again, um, connected to Paul's ministry. Paul talks about Mark in his letters, that he's writing to uh, the churches, and he says, send Mark, and Mark is helpful to me, and Mark is uh, somebody that I trust. And so somewhere along the way, Mark becomes very integrated also, again, into the whole ministry of the church and connected with Paul's ministry in particular. So it's not as if Mark is this person that can't be trusted. It's just he did need a second chance. And Barnabas takes that opportunity to give him a second chance. And here's all I want to say about it as we get to kind of this conclusion, is that you never know what God's going to do in somebody else's life aside from you. And, and here's, and this maybe gets super spiritual, I don't know, like we're going to try to come to this conclusion, but I really do believe it. it's, it's the right conclusion, is that it was necessary. The, the book of Romans tells us that all things work for good or who love God and called according to his purpose. It was necessary for Paul and Barnabas to, to split ways, to, to go their separate ways, for Mark's sake. Because it, whatever happened in that experience with Barnabas was really important in Mark's life. And it was needed for him to become the, the person who wrote inspired scripture and became an important figure in the ministry of the church. And for whatever reason that I don't understand, maybe Paul didn't understand either, Mark continuing with the ministry of Paul in that sense, in that time, wasn't going to produce what needed to be produced. And, and here's, again, the conclusion. You don't know 
what you need to be used by God the way that he wants to use you. But God does. And so every time we're looking at a situation, why is this happening, and I can't believe this happened, and we have to be careful to not put the limits on God that, that it must happen the way that I want it to in order for it to produce the result that I want. Sometimes God's trying to get a different result, and he's going to take you a different way. Amen? Sometimes that's painful. I only imagine, I, I can't imagine this though, that Paul was brokenhearted. He'd been doing ministry with Barnabas for a decade, and now he's going to go and he's going to do the rest of his ministry without Barnabas. That probably broke his heart, but it was needed. It was necessary, and it had, God had a purpose in it. And we never see, again, Paul and Barnabas reuniting for any kind of ministry. For whatever reason, they needed to do ministry separately. Okay, so chapter 16. Um, we see Paul goes in the mainland. He goes up north through the land, uh, up to the churches. We're going to skip over the, those things. He finds Timothy um, and brings Timothy along. And then verse 6. They went through the region of Phrygia, Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Now underline that word, forbidden. Isn't that interesting? Forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Well, now, why would the Holy Spirit forbid you to speak the word anywhere? Doesn't that seem strange? Verse 7, when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to do that. And I don't know exactly how the Spirit is preventing them or how the Spirit of Jesus is forbidding them or I don't know what's going on. If it, He couldn't get you know, his, his, his uh, hotel reservations, or he, I don't know if, if the, somebody was like, no, you can't go in here, uh, his passport they wouldn't stamp, I don't know, okay? Whatever thing was going on here, maybe it was a check in his spirit, maybe it was something in his mind, like there's something about the Holy Spirit is not allowing me to go, I don't know, it doesn't say, but for whatever reason, they weren't going where he wanted to go. And that's what I underline in my own mind here is that he's not being allowed to go where he wants to go and here's why so passing by Mycenae they went down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying come over to Macedonia and help us Macedonia is northern Greece okay right now they're over in the Middle East they're going to be going over to Europe okay verse 10 when Paul had seen the vision immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. You see the change there from they to we? Who is that talking about? Who wrote the book of Acts? Who wrote the book of Luke? <laughs> going once, going twice. Luke is now included in the story because for whatever, here, here's, I just find this fascinating. The Holy Spirit would not allow him, Paul to go into these areas. And it almost like funnels him to Troas where he comes into connection with Luke. Okay, And Luke is going to now join them in the ministry for the rest of his missionary journey. In fact, Luke's going to join him in ministry for the rest of his life. And Luke is the one who writes the Gospel of Luke. And Luke writes the, the book of Acts. And if you put those two books together... The amount of volume of, of writing is almost equal to the amount of volume of Paul's writing himself. I mean, you're talking about a significant portion of Scripture that is going to be written because the Holy Spirit funneled Paul to Troas where he picked up Luke and brought him along for the journey. And now Luke is going to have the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the message of Paul and the understanding of the gospel through Paul into the writing of scripture. And, and here we have a huge amount of revelation of who God is because of what Paul did not know. He did not understand. He didn't have a clue what God was doing, but God was doing something there. Isn't that awesome? And then he gives them the vision to go to Macedonia and then they go and they begin to preach the word there. And here's just a quick application. It is not important what you want. It is important what God wants. 
And if we can, for even a moment, put aside our desire and say, God, what is your will? And then when we learn that, to submit ourselves to that, then he will do great things in your life. But if you won't do that, and you will say, God, it's my will be done, not yours, then you will always be at odds with God and frustrated, and your life is going to be in turmoil. So, the Christian life, if I could summarize it this way, the entire point of being a human being is understanding God's will and doing it. His will, first and foremost, is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the first thing that you have to put your desires aside and say, God's will be done. His will is trust Jesus. Second to that is everything else. Now it's just a matter of, of the details. God, what do, you, what do you want here? How do you want me to live here? How do you want me to go there? How do you want me to spend my time, my money, my, my life, my family, my job, my, my mind? I mean, wh wherever attention I'm going to give, whatever, you know, where I'm going to put my feet, how I'm going to spend every day, all those things are, we, they're so important to us, but to God it's like, just trust me in each step. Come to know my will for your life. And when you learn it, you say, okay, God. And he will take... Now, here's the other thing. <laughs> Even as I say that, does that mean your life is going to be peaceful? Protected from harm? No disease? No illness? No struggles? No pain? Anybody? And here's what's crazy is that God absolutely showed Paul this is the next step of the journey. And you know what happened? The very next step of the journey, he goes to Philippi. That's where he's going to go directly from Troas, where he's going to go from the Middle East to Europe. The very next thing, yes, Lydia gets saved and they begin the church there in Philippi and there's some wonderful ministry going on. But as soon as they just get started, here's what happens. Go to Acts 16, verse 19. There's this young girl who is fortune-telling by a demon, and Paul drives the demon out, verse 19. But when her owner saw that their hope of gain or their hope of, of financial gain is gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs. We are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. It really doesn't have anything to do with the gospel, except for the fact that Christianity is an illegal religion in Roman society. Okay. It was not permitted, but that's not really their issue. Their issue is they're just mad at Paul and they're, they're bringing charges against him in a court of law, okay? So the crowd joined in attacking them. So now we have a mob, but the magistrates, who are the judges, okay, they tore the garments off of them, Paul and Silas, gave orders to beat them with robes or with rods. And uh, when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, they put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. So they've been beaten. They're bloody and bruised. They're now in an inner cell, which means this is, it's osmosis, guys, okay? All the bathroom materials go down. That's where they're at, the lowest part, where everything flows. They're in stocks. They're, they're as miserable as you can possibly imagine people being. And yet, this is where God led them to be. Right? It's not as if I'm going to do my own thing and they're like Jonah running away and, and they get thrown into the mouth of the, the fish here. We're talking about people that are faithful in doing what they believe God has called them to do, going exactly where God has called them to go and preaching the gospel and driving out demons and doing all the ministry that God's called them to do and here's where they end up. And sometimes, this is not necessarily the most encouraging thing I could say to you, I'm sorry, <laughs> but sometimes following the Lord is going to lead you into 
very difficult situations. In fact, I would contend that following the Lord will almost certainly lead you into more difficult situations than not following the Lord. Because you are at odds with this world as a believer. And this world is not happy about that. We as believers are the aroma of Christ, which means to believers we're the scent of life. Because you and I, as believers, we, we get encouragement from each other to trust the Lord and to know Jesus and to have hope of eternal life. But to non-believers, we are the smell of death. Because what we are living, even if we don't proclaim it openly, but even if we just live it, we are giving the essence of judgment. That there is judgment. That there is sin. We're seeking to live differently apart from the world. And you ever argued with somebody over anything? And the amount of anger and hatred that you get when you say what you're doing is wrong, the world doesn't like it. And so it's going to compel that kind of response. And in this case, it does. Now, here's the deal. You're going to end up here some point or other in your life. You're going to find yourself at odds with people who do not believe what you believe and do not accept that what you're saying is correct. And you're going to be in pain. And you're going to have broken relationships. And you're going to find yourself at a crossroads in your life. And you're going to have to decide what you're going to do. And here's what Paul and Silas do. Verse 25. About midnight. Okay, they can't sleep because they're in pain. Physical pain. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And you know the rest of the story, the earthquake and the chains fall and doors open and all the rest. And the jailer becomes a a Christian and the the whole story. But all of that aside, okay, there was a decision that they had to make and that you and I have to always make no matter what you go through. And and I'm saying no matter what you go through, knowing that some people are going to have to go through a cancer diagnosis, some people are going to have to go through a divorce, some people are going to have to go through a a pain, a a broken relationship, a lost job, a financial issue, bankruptcy, okay? Different things that you're going to go through in your life that you will have the option to either praise God or blame God. No matter if what you're going through is great or terrible or painful or confusing or whatever the the case may be, you will always have the option. I can either praise God and trust him or I can blame God and, and be angry with him. Your choice. When you choose to praise and honor God, then what's going to happen is that no matter if your situation changes or not, you will change. You will change and you will be a witness to those around you. The greatest witness, and I've said this many times over the years, but the greatest witness is not the person whose life is perfect and everything's going well and they're so happy to be in Jesus. I mean, that's that's a great witness, no, no doubt. But the greatest witness to the world is when you go through pain and suffering and you say, I trust the Lord and I'm not gonna give up on him no matter what the world looks at me and says, your life is a failure. I trust him. And the world sees that and they say, that's, different. You're not angry. You may be confused, but you're not angry, and you're not bitter, and you're hopeful. I just, I, I was at the doctor the other day, and this, I mean, this is the first time this ever happened to me. They were going through the whole checklist, you know, how you feeling, blah, 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 and then, and they said this, and I don't remember the whole thing, but it was, are you uh, depressed, despondent, or hopeless? And I'm like, I've, I've never been asked that before. And I know that's maybe not a brand new thing, but I'd never been asked that before. And I said, no, I, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> but uh, I'm like, that's new. And they're like, well, the, the world today, you know, is just such that we're asking that. And, and I did think like, yeah, I get it. The world as it is right now, I see where this is a pandemic. You talk about a pandemic of COVID. We're, we're in a pandemic of despair. And the hope, and I, and I just said, and I don't 
know that they appreciated it necessarily. But I said, I know the Lord. I said, I'm not, I'm not that worried about it. Um, and I, don't, I hope that didn't come off arrogant or I just was like, if your hope is in this world, yeah, you're going to be in despair. My hope is in the Lord. Um, and and that will take you through anything. So they get released. Um, there's so much that happens next. I mean, they, they go to Thessalonica. So they go up north into this new area. They preach the gospel. People get saved. But they also have um, a, a persecution. Okay? They're driven out of Thessalonica. They go from Thessalonica to Berea. They preach the gospel there. People get saved. But the people from Thessalonica hear that they're preaching in Berea. They're mad about it. They come down and they persecute them there, and they have to leave Berea. So they go down to Athens, and Paul preaches to the people in Athens, and people get saved, but it's not where God's calling him. So we're, we're skipping over tons of the story here. Okay, I'm admitting that we're running through this. Chapter 18, they find themselves in Corinth. It's the southernmost part of Greece. Okay, they've been all through Greece, all through that area. They come down to Corinth, and here's what it says in 18 verse 9. It says, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. Wouldn't that be new to Paul? <laughs> wow. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and a half, a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Now, here's what happens next. So God tells Paul, just stay here. I got you protected here. You're going to just have a good time of ministry. You're going to win people to Christ. You're going to be able to grow people in their, their walk with you. You're going to have to, you just get to be here for a while. And you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to protect yourself. Just rest in my power and my protection. The next thing that happens, Gallio was proconsul of Achaia. The Jews made a united attack on Paul, brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. So right away, okay, right after God promises to Paul, don't worry, you stay here, do your ministry, you don't have anything to worry about. I got people, you're protected. And the next thing that we see is now we have a united attack on Paul. Here's what's awesome. Verse 14, when Paul was about to open his mouth, Paul's never afraid to defend himself or the gospel or speak up, okay? But he's about to open his mouth. Before he does, Gallio, okay, this is the uh, magistrate, this is the, the proconsul. Um, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint, but since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it to yourselves. I refuse to be judge of these things. He drove them from the tribunal. They all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal instead of Paul. Their own leader, they beat him up. Gallio paid no attention to any of it. And here's all I want to say is that God told Paul what he was going to do. Paul believes him. I'm sure God, he believed God, but he's about to defend himself anyway, and God says, uh-uh. You don't even need to do that. I got you covered. And he defended Paul himself through this guy who's not a believer, not a Jewish person, not a Christian. He's just somebody in leadership. God used that person to defend Paul and to release him from this whole situation. And all I'm saying is that when God says, do this, you can trust that if you do it, he's going to confirm his power. Amen? Okay, let me say it this way. A confirmation by definition comes after the fact, not before. You're like, oh. here's, anybody ever booked a hotel room? Three people, okay. You guys need to get out more. A rental car, uh, a vacation, anything, okay. A plane ticket. When do you get your confirmation? Before 
you book it or after you book it. Okay. And here's all I'm saying is that you and I, as human beings, want confirmation before. We want it. We want to know that we know that we know that if I do this thing, then, then this thing will happen. That, that for the non-believer, and I'm saying that very loosely, okay, but the person who has not yet trusted Jesus Christ wants confirmation before they will put their faith in Jesus that it, it's all going to work out right or all their questions are going to be answered, all their confusion about who God is and what his word says and what he wants and all these things. They want all those things answered. And, it, and if I get all those things answered, then I'll believe. Or if I can continue to do what I want to do in my life, how I want to do it, and I can, then I can believe in God, and then I'll, maybe I'll do that. But to step out in faith and say, I'm going to trust God and then... I'm going to have to obey what God wants. For a lot of people, non-believer and believer, that's a scary thing. We want to know ahead of time that our decisions are going to work out. Right? And here's what God says. You've got to trust Him personally. You've got to trust Him as, as a person. Um, I think it was Warren Wearsby who uh, talked about it this way, is that we, we, we can think about the power of God. It might have been A.W. Tozer. I get all these guys. I love them all. But we believe in the power of God. Anybody believe in the power of God? Absolutely. He can create the universe with a word. He can heal any disease. He can raise the dead. He can provide eternity for you. He can, he can do anything. He is almighty God. We believe in the power of God. There's nothing God can't do. Amen? Nothing he can't do. But sometimes as Christians, we forget to trust in the personality of God. That he loves you. That he, he wants what is best for you. That, that he can be trusted that he is good. It's one thing to believe in the power of God. It's another thing to trust in the goodness of God. But that's what he asks. He asks you not just to believe that he's all-powerful, but that he is good. And that if you will put your life in his hands, that he will take care of it. And when I say take care of it, I don't mean guide you gently 95 years without any harm or pain or suffering or difficulty into an easy go to bed at night, die in your sleep, and then now you're in heaven, which is what we all want. But he will take care of the purpose that he created you for, and he'll guide you into the eternity that he has prepared for you. And maybe those two things are all that you can rest in, but those are two awesome things. Amen? And Paul, even Paul, <laughs> somehow, for whatever reason, needed that confirmation. Not only in the power of God, he saw the earthquake, he saw the chains break, he saw the doors open, he also needed the to confirmation of the goodness of God. I said I would take care of you, I'll take care of you. You and I can trust the same thing. And Father, we thank you. Thank you that we can. Thank you that we have the same promises. We have the same hope. We have the same opportunities, Lord. Um, we don't have the same mission. We don't have the same ministry that Paul had. In fact, we don't even have the same mission as the person sitting next to us, Lord. You've created us all different. You have different plans different uh, outcomes, different areas of influence. And that's good. And we thank you for that. But Lord, right now I'm praying that each and every person here, no matter what the next day brings or next 50 years, that we would trust you with it. We're trying to discern 
the right things, Lord? How do, we, how do we do what you want? How do we understand how to do the, the next thing? We thank you that your word tells us that we can trust you. If we're just willing to lay it down and say, God, I, I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I know who's there. And I know that you have it in your hand, and I know that I can trust you with that. And so I thank you, God. I thank you for the opportunity to learn that again from your word. See it again, hear it again, be encouraged by it. I pray, Lord, that we are. Help us to live it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you this morning. I always want to invite you to respond to the word, respond to whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And there are two things, there are always two things that are always on my mind. One is that there are people who don't know the Lord, who maybe, maybe it's not even that you don't know the Lord, it's just that for whatever reason you've hesitated to intentionally say, I need Jesus. And somehow or other, I believe you need an invitation to accept him as your Lord and Savior. You need somebody to say, is today the day that you say yes to Jesus and you step into, without a doubt, the Christian life. You say yes to Jesus. And so I'm inviting you. If that's you, I don't know if it's you, you know. The Holy Spirit is going to move in your heart. You're going to feel something. You're going to know that you need to do that. Nobody can do that for you. Nobody can choose it for you. All we can do is present it to you and invite you for forward. Okay? But I'm, I'm asking you to consider that this morning. If that's you, would you come? The altar, we call this an altar. What it is, is it's an opportunity, it's a moment to say, I'm making a decision for Jesus. And I'm going to kneel at the altar as an act of humility to say yes to the Lord. And if you come to accept Jesus, we'd love to come alongside you, help you to learn what it means. Now you've made that step, what's the next step? How do you follow? How do you live for him? That's always number one on my heart because eternity is forever life is short but eternity is forever and we're all headed there the second thing is and this is always again on my heart is that every believer has an opportunity to be invited to recommit to reestablish to come to a place of decision in their own life not that they're lost and need to be saved, but that they are saved and they need to live that life more intentionally for the Lord. And if you've been drifting, if you've been doing your own thing and not God's thing, and you know that you need to come back to God's thing, then I'm inviting you to do that this morning. Amen? That's it. The altar is open. The altar is a place for physically just to come and say yes. To the Lord. You don't have to come to the altar, but you do have to make a decision in your heart with the Lord this morning. So let's stand and let's sing.